Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Man, it feels so good to be alive. It does. Things are great, man. Recruiting's going well. Dead period's uh, underway. Probably have a chance for all of us to kind of take a breath, go to the beach, maybe. Maybe head down to the Redneck Riviera, down in Orange Beach, go by Florabama. Right? Maybe you can do that. Maybe you can go to the river. A lot of you enjoy doing that. Go lay by the pool, get out and have a little fun. Maybe go to Disney. I don't know. Do whatever it is you do when you're not here. And have a good time. But uh, as the emails come pouring in. But uh, my point being is that uh, there should be a bit of a lull in sports information here in the next uh, few weeks. So we're going to work hard here at the Boneyard and try to fill that void. As you guys know, the uh, final game of the college baseball season will take place tonight. We're not playing. We'll talk about that later in the show briefly. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of football today. A lot of football talk. And if you hadn't done so, you need to be thinking about what your plans are for September. I mean, guys, it is almost July. Let that sink in for a second. It feels like the kids just got out of school. And maybe for some of you, it's like they've been out too long already, Steve. Maybe it is. But Labor Day weekend will be here soon. SEC Media Day is coming up. Fall camp's coming up. I mean, think about this. By the time you take a vacation, you come back, you get settled, kind of get over that sunburn, make some of that money that you spent too much of when you're down there. We're going to be in fall camp. We're going to be talking about football. We're going to be interviewing Zach Arnett, your players, about their preparations for the 2023 season. It's not going to be long. It's not. We'll get done with the College World Series. We'll have a little bit of time to take our breath. Next thing you know, it's nose to the grindstone. And uh, as a guy that likes a schedule, I enjoy football season being here. You know, we typically get, you know, Arnett on Mondays. You know, offensive players and coaches Tuesday. Defensive players and coaches Wednesday. We don't have a deal Thursday. Friday's a game preview and we travel or not. And it's a ball game and Sunday, you know, so it's it's a nice regimented schedule for us. And you guys kind of get to learn about your team and other teams. And I'm happy to say, too, was informed this morning by the fine folks at 247 Sports, the jeanspage.com, the most dominant maroon media entity of all time, has reached an all-time high in subscribers. How about that? So thank you to all of you who subscribe. Those of you that don't, you should. You should. We'd love to have you as part of our wonderful community as we give you unprecedented coverage of Mississippi State Athletics. It is something that we take very, very, very seriously. You got a few days left to take advantage of our 50% off special, 50% off an annual subscription through the month of June. And of course, think about that for a second. You go ahead and pay that 50% off. That gets you through football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and next year's baseball season. So you, you sign up today, that's going to get you all the way to Omaha. It's a great deal. Great deal. And again, Dad, I promise you that uh, the 50% off annual VIP membership at jeanspage.com is better than that uh, you know, pack of socks that they bought you at Walmart out of obligation for Father's Day. 
So treat yourself, dad, mom, whoever you may be, to 50% off. Jeans page uh, during the month of June. And again, that's an annual sub. It'll take you all the way to next June. Uh, we look forward to having you come join us. Absolutely incredible. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I'm thinking about heading down there today. I had some people hit me up and said, hey, Steve, I went and tried the Mississippi Barbecue Burger. You're absolutely right. You're right. Maybe we should print T-shirts. Rose Bowl was right. Maybe we should do that. But uh, Bulldog Burger Company, man, doing a great job. And here's the thing, too. I, I get these uh, phases in life where I find what works with me, and I just continue to do it. So pretty soon, maybe I'll move off of the Mississippi Barbecue Burger, move on to something else. The one consistent with me is when I go and dine with two or more people, we're getting the spring rolls as our appetizer. And a lot of times it's not even for my benefit. It's for theirs. Because you know that spring rolls make you better looking. I'm trying to make the world more beautiful. One spring roll at a time. And so when you sit down and maybe you've got a friend that doesn't look their best. And maybe you don't want to say anything. So you know what? Hey, we're going to have the spring rolls as our appetizer. It's a very nice, discreet way of helping your friend look their best. It's in writing. Trust the science. Trust me on this. I didn't get to be this beautiful due to genetics. The spring rolls play a big part. It's true. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo Lake Harbor Drive and Origin Flowood area. And be mindful, we'll have some tape over, take, tap takeovers here in the weeks to come. And occasionally a little live music out there at uh, Tupelo. How cool is that, man? Get a nice meal and adult beverage and kick back and listen to some live music. Nice little ambiance there. It's great. Get the chocolate shake to go. Or maybe get that bread pudding, put it in the fridge. You get up in the middle of the night. Man, just need a palate cleanser. Go ahead and knock that bad boy out. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk some college football today. So I dug up all the over-unders. You know, these people in Vegas, the reason the casinos are as big as they are is because they know how to get your money. It's not just, hey, let's build a nice pretty building so people will come visit us. No, we're building it on their money. They make an investment, build these great casinos, and have Cirque du Soleil and all that stuff, and the you know, Motley Crue or Alice Cooper does a Vegas residency, and you go out there, and while you're there, you go gamble a little bit. Now, I gamble on occasion, too. Maybe some of you are like regular gamblers. I'm not. I go occasionally, and I go uh, take a couple hundred bucks of their money on a blackjack table, and I'm good for a while. It's really more of an entertainment thing for me. I'm not trying to go out there and get rich. Uh, but nevertheless, Vegas, they set these odds to get betting on both sides of the line. That's what they do. They want action on both sides. They want everybody to say, oh, this is a joke. They're going to win more than this, so they're going to win less than this, so you throw some money at it, and then they take, you know, they're going to win either way, right, because half the people are going to lose the bet at least. But they set the over-unders. And so I want to go through that today and tell you how realistic I think it is. And again, remember, this is not necessarily a, a prediction per se. It's a way to generate betting action. All right, we'll start. Out, we'll go alphabetically here. Alabama. Alabama. Vegas has set the over-under on those guys at 10 and a half. Brand new quarterback. But the uh, how many times have people kind of uh, prematurely predicted the demise of the Alabama run? Now, of course, last year wasn't the year they wanted it to be. It was still a pretty good year, though. But 10 and a half wins this year. How doable is that? Well, you play 12 regular season games. You say, well, you know, if they lose two, 
that's good money for me, right? Because if I bet the under on 10 and a half, got a good chance to make some, some scratch there. All right, so the, the tide opens with Middle Tennessee State. They get Texas. So you got to feel like, hey, I got Middle Tennessee. I get Texas and Bryant Danny. It'll be Sark versus Saban. I got to go with Saban there. But uh, if I'm Texas, I'm happy about getting Alabama early. I'm not happy about playing them there. And then Alabama will go to Raymond James Stadium in Tampa to take care of the uh, South Florida Bulls. Then Ole Miss comes in to Bryant Denny. So it won't be a 7 0 start for Ole Miss this year. And then Alabama comes to us. Then they travel to College Station, Texas. And you got to wonder, okay, is that a bit of a trap game? I don't think so. I don't think Alabama gets trapped. Then they host Arkansas. Then they host Tennessee. Remember what happened last year? Tennessee finally got off the schneid there with them and uh, finally got a win in that, quote, rivalry. They get a week off to prepare for LSU, who beat them a year ago down in Tiger Stadium. They travel to Lexington. They get the mocks of UT Chat and then Auburn. So I, I ask you at this point, when you begin to think about the math, you say, hey, two losses, I'm into money. Where do they come from? Where are the two losses? It's going to require somebody to upset them. And I, I think their road games are all very manageable. Very manageable. And, again, you look at this deal, like, the you know, LSU and Tennessee both beat Alabama in the regular season last year. You get both of those games at Bryant-Denny Stadium. You got to feel good about that. Of course, uh, Alabama had some struggles down there at College Station. You know, Bobby Petrino and those guys will be thinking, hey, we got a chance to pull an upset here. I, I just don't think – Alabama's going to lose two. They may slip up and get one. I just don't, unless they have a major injury, I just don't see it. And we don't even really know who the quarterback's going to be. You talk about a testament to the power of Alabama football. That's it right there. That We don't even have a definitive winner of the quarterback position, and the, the odds makers in Vegas are expecting them to win double-digit games. But, again, I think there's a lot of parity in the league this year. I don't think that there are a lot of great teams. Like last year we said, hey, there's a couple of great teams and it's kind of everybody else. It looks that way this year on paper because even though LSU won the West last year, would you say LSU was a great team? They were a really, really good team. But I wouldn't say they were great. Remember they got beat at College Station at the end of the year. And, of course, Georgia got them. You know, it's just part of the deal. But I wouldn't have said they were a great team. They had a great game against Alabama. Wasn't a great team, though. He said, but Steve, they won the West. They did. They did. But that's a team that Mississippi State should have beaten in Tiger Stadium. All right, let's take a look at Auburn. It's tough to figure out what to make of Auburn, right? I mean, honestly, they were not good last year. They are somewhat talent deficient. Of course, Hugh Freeze is there now. You know, offensively, they should be better. They've had some uh, transfer quarterbacks come in, competition at the position. You know, people are like, Robbie Ashford's a different player in this scheme, and I suspect he is, because they're not relying on him to throw the football an awful lot. So it'll be interesting to see what they do at the quarterback position. Vegas has them at six and a half in the over-under. Six and a half. I, I think betting on Auburn to beat that is probably the smart play. Not that I'm going to, but I'm just telling you, I think they win seven or so. They open up with UMass. That's a W. They go to California. Now, here's the thing I'll tell you about that. I don't know how good California's going to be this year. Maybe you do. Maybe you are a, you know, a close follower of Golden Bear football. I mean, this is a team last year that um, didn't play very well at all. What, 4-8 and eight last year? 
And I think they lost, what, you know, uh, six of the last seven. You know, they get Stanford, the Stanford-Cal game. But most of the games were competitive. But if you're Auburn, you got to think, man, this is a chance for me to really build some trust within our team. However, you got to go all the way across the country and play this game. And we know from experience, you know, sometimes there's a bit of a hangover there. But that's a toss-up game. It really is. Because, again, Cal wasn't good last year. Auburn wasn't either. Your toss-up games tend to favor the home team. So it'll be interesting to see. Then you get Samford. That's a dub. Auburn could be 3-0. Is that really out of the realm of possibility? I think it's 3-0 headed to College Station. Interesting. Then you get Georgia. Okay, that's a loss. You got to go to Tiger Stadium after a bye week. So I'm sure they'll have a few wrinkles in, but I, I see it's a loss. They host Ole Miss. Again, that's a toss-up. Then they host us. And then at Vanderbilt, at Arkansas, New Mexico State, Alabama. So you start running the numbers here, and you start thinking, okay, what are the obvious wins? Okay, UMass, Samford, for sure. Vanderbilt, New Mexico State. You're almost there. You're almost there. And you think that they won a couple toss-ups. And so, yeah, I, I think in year one, they're probably a 7-5 and five type team. But when you begin to look at, you know, the fact that most of the toss-ups are at home, you can see there's room for optimism. I don't think Auburn challenges for the West. I do think Auburn's probably a solid bowl team. That's a big step forward. Maybe they're 6-6. Six and six. Maybe they are. I mean, Vegas knows what they're doing. But they're a bowl team. You're just looking at this schedule, you know, without considering any potential injuries. It's a decent schedule. And, of course, any schedule that has Alabama and Georgia on it, it's not a favorable schedule. And then, of course, you throw in LSU, top 10 LSU. But I think the swing games for them, obviously, the road game to A&M and then the home dates against State and Ole Miss. Be awfully interesting. I think Auburn might actually go to Fayetteville and win that game, too. Yeah, we'll see how things go. Speaking of Fayetteville and the Arkansas Razorbacks, let's take a look at their schedule. Also... Over under, six and a half. And you'll find there's a lot of those, too. A lot of parity in the league this year, which makes these toss-up games all the more important. Another reason why it's a good year for us to have eight home games. And Arkansas is going to open up with Western Carolina and then Kent State and then BYU. Shouldn't they win all three of those games? I suspect they should. Then they go to Tiger Stadium. That BYU game, too, is a bit of a toss-up, too. And they go to Tiger Stadium. That's a loss. They'll play in Arlington against A&M. Man, that's a tough one. Always is. Then they got to go to Vault-Hemingway Stadium. They go to Alabama. They host Mississippi State, and they get a bye week. And that's the thing I think about, too, the way the schedule lays out for us. Think about this, kind of leading into the Mississippi State game. At LSU, neutral site game with A&M. Then you're at Vault-Hemingway, and then at Alabama. Then we go to Fayetteville. So it'll be their first home game in over a month. They'll be happy to be home, but what kind of shape physically they're going to be in at that point? That's a pretty defining moment in the Arkansas schedule. You get a bye week, then you go to Florida, then you get Auburn, FIU, and Missouri. You know, and there's some Arkansas people that are optimistic, but I look at this and I begin to ask myself, after those first three ball games. Where do you see a sure win outside of Florida International? You can say, well, there's Missouri. Yeah, they thought that last year. And your good friend and host told you for a month Missouri was going to beat Arkansas, and they did. 
again, I'm a conspiracy theorist, but I look at the schedule with, with Arkansas, and I wouldn't bet money on this to save my life. Because where are the wins coming from? I mean, th- this could be a 5-7 and seven team. They could be. They could also be a 7-5 and five team. A lot of questions about this team. Not to mention the fact that you've got brand-new coordinators. KJ's coming back. I love KJ. I do. But you've also had Trey Knox move on. You know, of course, you should have one of the more better running games in the conference. But you were so bad defensively last year, you had to get away from it. So if you can improve the defensive play, maybe you can stick with the game plan. But that's what happened last year is that teams would get separation. You'd have to kind of abandon the the plan. But Arkansas, I I think it's going to be a tough year. I really do. I, I, I think it's one of those years, too. I think fans will begin to ask themselves, can we get it done under Sam Pittman? And I like Sam. I do. I really, really do. I think that he's a guy that would fit well at Mississippi State as an assistant, not as a head coach, but as an assistant. And I think he fits Arkansas pretty well, too. But I think maybe they're overshadowed a little bit, expecting him to be a head coach. And, and again, I, I want him to do well because I like him. I think the kids play hard for him. But I think when you look at all the changes this year within that program, there's a lot riding on the shoulders of K.J. Jefferson. And if he gets injured again, it could be a year that goes in the tank for sure. All right, let's talk about Florida. When's like- Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Last time you saw Florida with an over and under a five and a half. They're projected to be a losing team this year. Doesn't speak well for Billy Napier. That's the thing you begin to think about if you're Scott Strickland. I mean, you went out and hired Billy Napier, and and like me, I thought, you know, hey, he was a good coach to follow Dan Mullen because there's so many of the same elements offensively that Billy runs that Dan ran. A lot of it's the same. A lot of the same concepts. So it made sense that he would be able to take the existing talents, formulate a good offensive scheme, and move forward. And they didn't do it. They had a bad year. Could be another bad year, too. And people say, well, you know, Dan Mullen's recruiting woes are coming home. You know what? That's probably true. But you know what? There's a reason we have a transfer portal. 
And Florida's out there, quote, killing it on the recruiting trail. And I think when you get a little bit, you look a little bit deeper into the film, begin to realize they got some kids that are ranked really high, but I don't know if they're difference makers in the Southeastern Conference. All right, so they're going to open up at Utah. Would you pick Florida over Utah right now in Salt Lake City? I wouldn't. Utah's top, one of the top 15 teams in the country. They're going to challenge for the Pac-12 championship game. That's a loss. Then McNeese State goes to the Swamp. Should be a dub. Tennessee then goes in. Even though that's in the Swamp, I think you got to take Tennessee. Then Charlotte comes in. That should be a dub. So you should be 2-2 two and two headed to Lexington. I'm not a big Kentucky fan. I won't be the least bit surprised if Florida wins that game. I see it as a toss-up, even though it's on the road. Then you get Vanderbilt. Then you got to go to South Carolina. And so you look at the first half of the schedule and say, you know what? Yeah, there's a couple of games that I'm, I'm not real certain about, but it's not inconceivable to think they could be 4-2 and two or 3-3 three and three at the break. And then it sets up pretty poorly. Then you get the bye week. Then you got Georgia. Arkansas comes in. That could be a dub. Then you got to go to LSU. Then you're at Missouri again. And then you get Florida State. This could be one of those deals where you have a decent first half and a dreadful second half. I certainly see Florida as a team that's going to have to really, really work hard uh, to be bowl eligible. And again, it's going to boil down to you know, how these toss-up games turn out. But uh, Florida, the Billy Napier era, not off to a good start. And you got to think, surely they won't fire him already. I don't know. You know what, what do the Bull Gators say, Scott? Be tough. I mean, two years is not enough time, but they're, they're impatient over there. For sure. Then you see Georgia winning national championships and Tennessee kind of rising to prominence again. You begin to think maybe you're missing your window. You need some new blood in the program. I, you hate to say it. Billy Napier may be on the hot seat this year. Georgia. Over-under for Georgia is 11.5. So either you, they're going to win 11 and you lose, or they're going to win 12 and you win. they got to go undefeated for you to take the over and be a winner. I think this schedule, again, you know, they got to figure out the quarterback thing. This schedule, for the most part, is a dream, an absolute dream of a schedule. UT Martin, dub. Ball State, dub. South Carolina in Georgia, dub. UAB, dub. At Auburn, dub. Kentucky in Athens, dub. At Vanderbilt, dub. Florida on a neutral site, that's a dub. Missouri in Athens, dub. Ole Miss in Athens, dub. You go to Tennessee. That's the one that gives you a little pause right there, right? So you know what? Could Tennessee get them? Maybe. I don't think so, but they could. And then you got to go to Georgia Tech. That's a dub. And so you look at this game and you say, you know what? They should be expected to win every one of these games. And the one that gives you pause is at Tennessee. And you never know what Tennessee's going to have, right? Hendon Hooker's gone. Of course, Joe Milton's there and he can throw it a mile. But this is a near perfect schedule for Georgia. You avoid Alabama. You avoid LSU. I mean, there's four teams in the SEC that are expected to win nine or more games this year. And the only one of them you play is Tennessee. How about that? Dream of a schedule for Georgia. So, yeah, do they repeat as NAFL champions? I don't know if I'd go that far. But should they have a great season? You better believe it. All right, Kentucky. Mike Nemus says, I love to hate on Kentucky. I just think I tell the truth about Kentucky. They've had a favorable schedule year after year after year. And, and they'll, again, they'll get off to a great start again this year. They will. And they, they're smart to schedule wins. 
kind of the Scott Strickland scheduling format. We want got to win all four non-conference games, and Kentucky should. I imagine their strength of schedule is probably somewhere about 500. Open up with Ball State, then the Eastern Kentucky, and then the Akron Zips. Joe, we're counting on you. I know you had some tough nights in Lexington. We're counting on you. And then they go to Vanderbilt. There's no reason to think Kentucky shouldn't be 4-0. Now, Clark Lee and Vanderbilt defensively are going to be better. This is one of those games I'm sure Vanderbilt fans are looking at and say, you know what, we might be able to get those guys. But let's give Kentucky the benefit of the doubt here, like everybody in the SEC media seems to do. They're 4-0. Then they host Florida. They conceivably could be 5-0. You travel to Georgia, that's a loss. Then you host Missouri, maybe a toss-up. By week, then it's Tennessee at Davis Wade Stadium, where you have struggled mightily. Then it's Alabama. Congratulations, Mark. You finally get to play Alabama again. You're at South, South Carolina at Louisville. And so the over-under for Kentucky is six and a half. And like Arkansas, I think it's well-placed because you know, this could be a team that could win, win seven. It could be a team that would win five. But when you look at this joke of a non-conference schedule, I can't imagine, outside of Louisville, I mean, none of these games should be competitive. And so you think, okay, we win those three, we're halfway there, and we get the benefit of playing Vanderbilt, Missouri, and South Carolina. We ought to get bowl eligible. Should. But as bad as we play when we go to Kentucky, they play equally as bad when they come here. So I expect us to win that game. All right, LSU's over-under is nine and a half. I don't know what you think about LSU. I don't know what you think about Brian Kelly. I know that he did the little accent thing that turned some people off, and that's all cool, too, whatever. But the guy put together a pretty good season last year. Again, not a great team, but a lot of people, when LSU kind of stumbled out of the gate, people were like, man, what's happening? They rallied back and beat Alabama, won the West, played in Atlanta. We needed them to get in the New Year's Six game. They did. That's okay. But looking at 2023 schedule, and uh, it's kind of like last year. It sets up a lot like last year. You know, they played Florida State last year in the Superdome. This year, they're going to play Florida State again in Orlando. Florida State won the game last year. I like them to win it again this year. Of course, Jaden Daniels uh, could be a difference maker in that game. Then you get Grambling, and then you got to travel to Davis Wade Stadium. It's going to be interesting. What, what did we learn last year? That, that's the game, I think. You know, last year we had so many times where a mobile quarterback, when things broke down, gave us trouble. What have we learned defensively based on how teams attacked us last year when the coverage was good, the protection kind of broke down and guys were able to kind of get out and play backyard football? What have we learned? That, that'll be a litmus test for us. Then they host Arkansas. They're at Ole Miss, at Missouri, host Auburn, host Army, at Alabama, then they go to the Swamp, Georgia State, Texas A&M. So you look at this, over-under is nine and a half. It's a reasonable chance to get there. And again, basically, is LSU the second best team in the West this year? I think, you know, just looking at, at the, the I look test, I would say, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know who else there would be. I think it's a big, after Alabama and then LSU, I think you can just kind of, you know, throw everybody together and uh, pull them out of the pile, and everybody will look very similar. I really do. But LSU, I, I, I like them to potentially be a uh, New Year's Six team this year. 
And again, Jaden Daniels is a guy that I didn't think he'd survive a year last year because he ran so much. But he did. All right, Mississippi State, again, going alphabetically here. State's over under six and a half. And, uh, again, you, you first look at that and say six and a half, and then you realize that just about everybody in the conference is six and a half or worse. I like the schedule. I've said it over and over again. All right, Southeastern, that's a dub. Arizona, in our place, that's a dub. LSU coming here, it's a toss-up, but you got to figure you favor LSU there. Let's call that a loss. Go to South Carolina. That, that's the game, I think, again, there's a difference between a good year and a great year. You got to win that game. Alabama comes here. We're going to go ahead and pencil it in as a loss, even though I think that we'll go out there and compete hard. I just don't know if we've got the talent to compete. Western Michigan comes in. That's a dub. We get a week off before we go to Fable. That's a big, big off week for us because I think that's a swing game on the schedule. Really help us in the uh, bull packing order. I like us to go up there and win. We should have won the last two times up there. We dominated the series the last decade or so. And the, the, the two games that we've lost up there, you look at, we took us missing three field goals. Right? It's crazy. Then we go to Auburn. It's always tough going to play down there. Last time we went, it took uh, the biggest comeback in school history to win. And Kentucky comes in, and we go to College Station. We've had some success. Southern Miss, in a short week, we turn around and play Ole Miss. And uh, so six and a half, yeah, I'm, I'm betting on the Bulldogs. I don't bet on the Bulldogs because I'm not always objective about said Bulldogs. I like us to win eight. I think we could get nine things fall to us, right? Maybe you're getting better. But I think you can win. I think nine and three is not unrealistic. I know people are like, oh, no, 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 we're going to be six and six, seven and five. If we are six and six and seven and five this year and we don't have a major injury, then um, we have not performed or coached very well. With this favorable schedule and with so much parity in the league, it needs to be a good year for State. And people are like, oh, but Steve, we're retooling the offense. You know, Kevin Barbet knows what he's doing. The pieces are there. You've got veteran players. It's not like you're starting fresh at a bunch of high school kids. You know, we, we, we should beat the odds. I don't have any question about that. All right, Missouri. We don't play those guys. Missouri's one of those teams, too. You know, they got eligible late. And you start thinking, okay, you know, Missouri kind of left for dead. And then they end up beating Arkansas in that big ball game at the end of the year to get bowl eligible. But, you know, they're over under, again, is six and a half. I love this. They open up with the South Dakota Coyotes. Let's get it done. South Dakota. That should be a dub. Middle Tennessee, you know, we'll see what middle looks like, but uh, middle's going to have a lot of SEC flavor on the schedule. Then it's Kansas State, who was phenomenal last year. Went on and played the Sugar Bowl against Alabama. Kansas State's kind of got it going up there. Kind of favor the Wildcats here. Memphis, they're going to play that game in St. Louis. So good for Memphis. You know, they're, they're a couple thousand fans, so have a good time being in the air conditioning. At Vanderbilt, then it's LSU at Kentucky, South Carolina at Georgia, Tennessee, Florida at Arkansas. Not a very good schedule for Eli Drinkwitz. And a lot of people thought, hey, you know, hey, this you know, guy's going to electrify things at Missouri. And then you look at the non-conference schedule and you think, okay, you're going to need all four of these. And you get all four of them to open the year. See, that in, in turn, you don't really get a break the rest of the way. So all four non-conference games come in the first four weeks of the season. And outside of that South Dakota game, would you look at this and say, yeah, they'll definitely win that game? Could you see Missouri winning over Memphis on a neutral field? Yeah. Could you see Memphis doing it? I mean, honestly, think about it. That's really a coin flip, and you're allowing it to be played on a neutral field. Kansas State's a loss. 
middle's a toss-up. So that's the thing. You look at your four non-conference games, and the only sure win is South Dakota. Not good. Yes, you get the benefit of playing Vanderbilt, but you're at their place. And so I started looking at this schedule. And, again, Missouri at six and a half, I, I would take the under on this. I don't see six or seven wins on this schedule if you're Missouri. I think Missouri, number one, they needed everything they had to get to a bowl last year. I don't think they get those breaks this year. Maybe I'm wrong. There's a reason we play the games. It's still fun to talk about. All right, next up on the list, Ole Miss Rebels. And they're seven and a half. Vegas set them at seven and a half. And, of course, in their minds, they should be in the Sugar Bowl every year, even though we don't crown the SEC champion there. You know, they're the people's champs in their own minds. But you look at the schedule, and again, much like last year, uh, there's, the non-conference is not very challenging. So they should win all four of those games. But what's interesting about that, okay, Mercer's a dub. Then you got to go to Tulane, right? Last year, a lot of people thought, hey, Tulane may give Ole Miss a game to Ole Miss's credit. It was, you know, really wasn't much of a game. But you got to go down to Goldman Stadium. That could be a little dicey. Georgia Tech, of course, the final year of Jeff Collins' era, that they bring in a new staff. You know, this will be a, a nice test for Georgia Tech, which you think Ole Miss should be able to win that game. Then, So you're 3-0, and but let's say you get upset against Tulane. I, I think that really puts them in a tailspin. I do. Because then you get Alabama. Then you host LSU in Arkansas. Arkansas is a toss-up game. I think LSU wins at Ole Miss. I, I, I'm, I fully expect that to happen. But let's say you're two and one, and then you go two and one the next group. Yeah, you're four and two at the break. Outside of that Louisiana Monroe game, you look at it, you begin to think, okay, what, what game should we absolutely win? Well, Vanderbilt. Everything else is a toss-up. You got to go to Auburn. You don't think Hugh Freeze will pull out every stop he's got at Auburn? You host AM, you go to Georgia, and you go to Starkville. Ole Miss probably a 7-5 team this year. Went 8-4 last year. I think they take a step back. I do. And that, and that includes winning Tulane. I think this is a schedule that's not very good for them. And, um, again, I, I like Jackson Dart. I know a lot of people are talking about him like he's just nothing. But the, the kid really showed that he's an athlete last year. What's that defense going to look like? That's a real question. And uh, you only had two wide receivers last year, and now they're both gone. All right, let's take a look at South Carolina. South Carolina lost a lot of pieces last year, but they bring Spencer Rattler back. So it should be a, a chance for them to be pretty decent. I'm glad we get them early. I think Shane Beamer and those guys will be jacked and ready to play us, and uh, the Gladney family will be there. You know, they'll, they'll be rooting for South Carolina. That's okay. We, we, we love them anyway. We do. But, um, you know, South Carolina, I think, again, a team that was probably going to have a schedule, right? I mean, Shane, a lot of people question the hire. And Shane Beamer has answered his critics in spades. He's like, hey, guys, I got it. I can handle it. Ended up in a Gator Bowl last year. It was incredible. They got beat by Notre Dame, but it was a game. All right, looking at their schedule this year, over and under for South Carolina, six and a half. They play North Carolina and Charlotte. That'll be interesting. Then they get the Paladins of Furman. Then they go to Georgia. They could be one and two when we go to Columbia. They'll beat Furman. The UNC game is a toss-up. They will lose to Georgia. And, again, we talk about some of these toss-up games and the fact that we get people off what should be a very physical game. We're going to play South Carolina after our road trip to Georgia. I like it. 
I like it a lot. And then they're going to be traveling to Tennessee. So we're kind of sandwiched in there pretty good between two road trips that South Carolina won't be favored in. Then they get a week off. Then it's Florida, at Missouri, at A&M, Jacksonville State, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and then Clemson. Again, the over-under is six and a half. I, I, I like where it's positioned, but I think South Carolina is probably a seven and five team. And that's, you know, you, you need to beat North Carolina. If you lose to North Carolina, and then, you know, think about this. You lose to UNC, you beat Furman, you lose at Athens, Mississippi State comes in and wins, and you lose to Tennessee. One and four, heading to the bye, won't be good. You know, again, the, the rest of the schedule is uh, somewhat of a toss-up, and I think Clemson will be ready to go this year when they go to Williams-Brice. But, uh, you know, what a, what, a, what a surprise that was last year. You know, Beamer and those boys had them playing well down the stretch. But uh, this could be a year where maybe South Carolina comes back to earth a little bit. But, again, I, I look at them and I think, you know, that they're a bold team again, should be. All right, Tennessee, we're expecting them to take a bit of a step back. But how much of a step back? You know, is, are they good enough to beat Georgia? I don't think so. But you look at the schedule and the fact that the over-under is nine and a half, you think, you know what? That's doable. Could they be right back in a New Year's Six game? Absolutely, they could. They get Virginia and Nashville at the Nissan Stadium. That'll be big. And that's like one of those 11 a.m. kicks, too, so you better watch that. But it's – and I, I think Tennessee wins that game. Uh, and we'll, 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 we'll get a little closer. We'll, we'll start picking them in, in there in, you know, proper context. But then Austin P comes in. You go to the Swamp. I like Tennessee's chances. Then it's UTSA, then it's South Carolina. There is a really good chance that Tennessee is 5-0 and and probably ranked in the top 10 with a bullet heading into the bye week. I mean, could you argue that Florida should beat Tennessee? I know it's in a swamp. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere because at that point, Florida fans will still be believing. But it's not in any way inconceivable to think they won't be 5-0 and going into the break. You host A&M. You're at Alabama, at Kentucky, UConn, Missouri, Georgia, Vanderbilt. You know, you look at this thing and you say, okay, if I had to pick it today, I would pick Georgia and Alabama to win. Well, that makes them 10-2. And it has them over, 9.5. And, and, you know, there's always a swing game in there. Maybe that's a Texas A&M game. Maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a game against South Carolina. But I think that game's a neat one. I, I like Tennessee's chances to put together a really good year, provided they stay healthy. All right, one of the teams there's so many varying opinions on is Texas A&M. Now, Vegas has them a seven and a half. I, I think that's easy money on the under. I, you know, they, they were not good last year. And you say, well, you know, Bobby Petrino's back you know, in, in the conference. Is that going to make that big a difference? Is he going to get them to eight wins? You know, five and seven last year. And you, yeah, you beat LSU at the end of the year and everybody rushed the field to uh, you know, celebrate a losing season. Jimbo's under a lot of pressure. And you know if they start having some adversity earlier, you know, him, he and Petrino will probably start wrestling over control of the offense. But early on, things should go okay for them. You got the Lobos in week one. Then you got to go to Miami. You remember how offensive that game was last year? It was so terrible. Like The, the, the football was just so bad in that game. But Miami goes 5-7 and seven last year. But now you got to go to their place. You know, two teams last year that both missed a bowl game, and uh, you're going to be playing at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. That'll be interesting. A&M's got to win that game. 
Then it's the Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. And then the Auburn Tigers. It's not unrealistic to think, hey, we could be and maybe should be 4-0. Then you get Arkansas on a neutral field. Again, I'm not bullish on Arkansas. And let's say they get that one. That's their 5-0. You're thinking, wow. Well, then it's Alabama and Tennessee back-to-back. I got both of those as losses. You got a bye week, you know, to kind of recover from back-to-back losses to what should be top ten teams. You host South Carolina. You go to Vault Hemingway. And then you host Mississippi State, Abilene Christian, then LSU. Uh, so you start doing the numbers here, and you think, you know what, because the, the non-conference schedule is so favorable, if they can beat Miami, yeah, I think eight wins is probably not only doable, but probably probable. Because if that's the case, if they beat Miami, they'll sweep the non-conference. And then you throw in the fact, too, that you're hosting Auburn, you're hosting Mississippi State, um, you're hosting South Carolina. So a lot of these toss-up games will define the season are going to be played in your backyard. I don't think a and is going to be great. I do think they're going to be better. I think most of you probably agree. All right, the final team in the conference in more ways than one, uh, Vanderbilt. Vegas has them as over and under three and a half. So they win three, you lose. They win four, you win. That half always tends to get you. Last year they went and beat Hawaii. Out at their place. I picked Hawaii to win that game like an idiot. It ended up being a difference in the standings, too, uh, for, on Gene's page. Uh, but anyway, so they host Hawaii, and then they get Alabama A&M, and then they're at Wake Forest. Then they're at UNLV. How good has it been to be a Vanderbilt Commodore here the last couple of years where you've gone to Hawaii and now you're going to Vegas? Yeah. you got to have something. But it is not in any way inconceivable to look at this and say, you know what, Vanderbilt could be 4-0. How about that? Think about that. But that was kind of the case last year, if you remember. They got off to that great start, and everybody's like, oh, they'll be bowl eligible. And I'm like, did you look at the schedule? Wake Forest is 8-5 and five last year, and that's going to be played in Winston-Salem. So let's say 3-1 and one for Vandy, probably best-case scenario. Could they beat UNLV? Yeah, I guess it's possible. How probable is it? I don't know. We'll see. You know, this is a Vanderbilt team that got much better down the stretch. So I think, you know, going on the road and playing a 5-7 and seven team, even if it's in their own backyard, I think you feel like you're in good shape there. So, again, let's give them benefit of the doubt. Let's hit their 3-1. and one. You host Kentucky. You host Missouri. I think that basically determines bowl eligibility. You, you drop both of those games, you're not going to make a bowl game. You win at least one of those games, you're in the hunt. You win them both, you're going bold, you're going to be bold. No question about it. Because after that, you get Florida and Georgia, two losses, then you're off, then you go for the annual rivalry game at uh, Vault Hemingway Stadium. Probably one of the biggest complaints that I've seen is that they did not protect all the traditional rivalries. You know, moving forward, oh, we want to do this and we're going to rotate the schedule, but. Ole Miss, and while they won't admit it publicly, they're fuming to not be able to play Vanderbilt every year. I'm surprised they didn't go petition to call it a robbery. We'll even buy a trophy. We'll put like a statue together of a guy in some seersucker shorts. But that's a tough game. It always has been. Um, at least you know, Vanderbilt defensively will play well. I just don't think they can score at Ole Miss. And it's Auburn in Nashville at South Carolina at Tennessee. So my, my question is, once you get through uh, Kentucky, Missouri – where is there a sure win? There's not. There's not. There's a bunch of toss-up games, and you got to think maybe they can find a way to get one. 
you got to sweep the non-conference if you can. Just don't know if that's possible. I think, again, three and one. And then, again, Kentucky, Missouri, you've got to get them both and then hope you can pick somebody off. And I think Clark Lee's doing a good job there. I just think they're so talent deficient there. It's just going to be almost impossible. So that's, you know, my take on the Vegas over-unders. I don't know what you think. Um, but I, I think, again, you look at this in its totality. Vegas is not in the business of making, quote, predictions for the SEC standings. They're giving you betting options. And if you'll notice, so many of these are kind of middle of the road, you know. And, again, that's where they throw that half game to kind of trip you up a little bit. But there's a lot of parity. And, you, again, you start running the list here. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams in the SEC that are projected to win uh, six and a half or less. A lot of parity within the league. And then two of the teams that are seven and a half are Ole Miss and A&M. We play them both. So, again, the schedule is favorable, but I think the reason it's favorable is because State plays so many games at home and there is a great amount of parity within the league this year. Uh, but that's my feeling on it. Maybe you feel differently. That's okay. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, that's how it shakes out today. All right, time for today's top ten list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R. Close with Blair. Blair is a mortgage professional. Blair is a guy that knows how to get things done. If you have mortgage needs, and many of you do, maybe you're looking to buy a new home. Maybe you're in foreclosure. I don't know. Either way, help is on the way. Reach out to Blair at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And be sure to let them know your needs. Confidentiality guaranteed. Also, a great job doing a great a great guy doing a great job. When you, that's what you need. You need a winner. Top 1% close ratio in the country back to back to back year. 22 years of experience. Fairway mortgage. That's the place where he works. Very reputable lending institution. You're not dealing with some, some prime lender that's going to be gone here today and gone tomorrow. Great service. Great experience. From a great guy that's a Bulldog fan. I like to keep business in the family whenever I can. So reach out to Blair at closeofblair.com. Okay, today's top 10 list suggested by Melanie Moody. She is a top 10 contributor regularly. And I don't always thank her on the show the way that I should. So Melanie, thanks for your interest in the list and all of your wonderful suggestions. We have used several of hers. There are other ones I haven't. But she says, you know, Steve, with the the heat wave coming up, let's do a top 10 list about heat are being hot. I've shared with you guys before, if I ever leave Starkville, which I doubt I ever will, but if I do, it will not be for any other reason other than these Mississippi summers. I know many of you enjoy getting out on the river. The older I get, the more this heat bothers me. It does. I guess I'm getting old and decrepit because I am from the 1900s. And uh, it's one of those deals, man, where the, the hotter it gets, the man just saps your energy. You get out there and work in the yard a little bit, and it's like, I need a nap. It didn't bother me as much as it does these days. I guess turning 50 does that to you, and which reminds me, I'll, my birthday's coming up here in a few days. Uh, my friends call me cash, so when you write the check, there you go. Or I can uh, pre- present you with the uh, cash app. That's it. Uh, top 10 songs about heat, and uh, kind of got an eclectic group here. I didn't include Buster Poindexter's annoying hot, hot, hot song uh, because it is annoying. 
Also, it didn't include, uh, it's like a heat wave from uh, Martha James and the Vandals, and uh, that's probably maybe an oversight on my behalf, but uh, that's a legendary song. I wanted to give her an honorable mention. You know, Pat Benatar actually re-recorded that song and had a big hit with it as well. Did a good job on it, but it's not as good as the original. You know, I'm a big covers guy, but that, Linda, good job, but uh, the Vandals did it better. All right, so here are the top ten songs about heat, according to me. Number ten, I love this song. I do, and it is an underappreciated classic in the Brian Adams catalog. I like it a lot. I, I like that gravelly, raspy voice of Brian Adams. I do. Like, I, I could write in that vein. I could write a song and say, here, Brian, here, this was written for you. Love Brian Adams. I do. But it's the heat of the night. In the heat of the night, man, I love that song. I think you guys, it's not, no connection to the TV show, but this is a great one. And again, a lot of people go back to the, the Reckless album because that was kind of the breakthrough for Brian Adams. A lot of great songs in the catalog after Reckless. This is one of them. Number nine, could argue this should be hotter, higher on the list. It's not. because There's some other songs out here I think kind of fit, um, but it's uh, Hot in Here from Nelly. I'm a Nelly fan too. And I think some of the most creative writing in Nelly's career came on this track, especially the part when he says, uh, you know, uh, I got a pole in the basement. Oh, I'm just kidding like Jason, unless you're going to do it. Dead gum right. Shout out to Nelly for that. So hot in here from Nelly, number nine. Number eight, not necessarily about temperature per se, but if we're going to do a song about heat, I think you got a list about heat. You got to work in Donna Summer's hot stuff. Great, great song. She was the queen of the skating rink, man. When I was a kid, like it seemed like Donna Summer was everywhere. You know, this last dance and all that kind of stuff. We could probably do a top 10 list of Donna Summer classics. But hot stuff. Looking for some hot stuff, baby, this evening. Absolutely, Donna. We are too. Number eight on your list, Donna Summer's hot stuff. Number seven. I love this band. I had several of their 45s. Again, I'm from the 1900s. Many of you kids don't know what a 45 is. You think it's just a gun. It's not. But you know, we, nowadays you have vinyl. You know, we used to have vinyl singles. It had an A side and a B side. I had a bunch of cool in the gang, 45s. Eventually, got enough money to buy a real album. But cool in the gang, it's too hot. Great song. Be sure and check that out. Cool in the gang's outstanding too. And here's the thing too. So cool and cool in the gang is not the singer. A lot of people misconstrue that. At their heyday, James J.T. Taylor was the singer. But the cool and cool in the gang is bass player Robert Cool Bell, who is an incredible musician and wrote most of the songs for Cool in the Gang. So there you go. A little bit of trivia that maybe you didn't know. Number six, former members of the Eagles here, Glenn Fry. The heat is on. They play that at Duty Noble, and many of you hear that song and you think, who sings that? It's Glenn Fry from the Eagles. God rest his soul. Number five, Roy will be excited about this one because Roy, I, th- I think Roy's even suggested we do a top ten. I don't know if they have ten hits, but it's the band Asia. They were kind of a rock, synth, fusion-type band and uh, had a big hit with a track called The Heat of the Moment. Not necessarily about temperature, but it fits our motif today asia you know it's like i sometimes i think that my taste in 80s music was very eclectic and then roy and i will talk and and i'm like you know roy and i had much different experiences you know i'm listening to the sea hags and vane and tora tora and 
uh, shotgun messiah and people like that because you know when when you preps got involved like in the beginning like when when Def Leppard's Pyromania was out, it was only the cool kids like myself that were into Def Leppard. And then all of a sudden, you know, MTV starts playing Pour Some Sugar on Me and all that stuff. And it's like, all of a sudden, you guys get involved. So all of us that were hanging out in the smoke, smoking section and chasing girls that drank beer, we had to, uh, to migrate a little bit. You know, we couldn't be wearing our Def Leppard shirts there because all of you guys were. And you and your tight-rolled acid-washed jeans and your Dexters with no socks we couldn't be seen as affiliating with you. So we were kind of rock snobs. So when when metal hit the mainstream, we had to kind of dig deeper. We did. And Roy, I don't know what Roy's motivation was, but Roy was listening to some bands. And, oh, this band was great and had a million hits, and, and they didn't. I love Roy to death, but uh, this is one of those. Roy is a big Asia fan. Number four, man, a big hit here. Uh, you may remember him, you old guys uh, and ladies. You're not old. The ladies aren't old. The guys are. Ladies are beautiful for life. But uh band called Sweeney Tide had a lead singer by the name of Nick Gilder. He had a big number one hit in Canada and the U.S., a song called Hot Child in the City. Maybe you've heard it before. It's got a nice groove to it. Great, great track. What's interesting is I read an interview with Nick, too. A lot of people are like, hey, this is an upbeat, you know, it's just a song about, you know, you're a teenage guy or whatever, and there's a, you know, there's a hot girl or whatever. That's what it's about. Nick said kind of a dark twist to this. He said when he was out in Hollywood, California, he saw these uh, underage, you know, prostitutes that were out there. And that was kind of the genesis of the song, not necessarily as in any way to support that. But it was really, there's kind of a sad connotation with the song. And maybe I've just ruined the song for you. But it is a great track. But again, it kind of begins with that. You know, like his the, the infancy and genesis of this song was the fact that he saw young ladies being exploited on Hollywood and California. And so ultimately that led to Hot Child in the City. Interesting. Number three, uh, speaking of people that are going to hell. Uh, no, I'm kidding. It's a great track, Hotter Than Hell, from Kiss. And I remember being a kid. Everybody said, you can't listen to Kiss. Because KISS stands for Knights in Satan Service. And, of course, that wasn't true. Uh, but that's what they told us. Because we had so many people back in those days that wanted us to behave. Uh, you can't do that. You can't go fishing on Sundays. You'll catch a devil. You know, you can't listen to KISS because the devil's in the music. Right? It was so much there. We're going to play it backwards. And we're going to you know, suggest that it says something that it doesn't. But Hotter Than Hell, that's the, uh, the title track of the same album from KISS. And it's about a, uh, an attractive lady, just so you know. It's not literally about hell. Tipper Gore. All right, number two, a supergroup, Robert Palmer. Many of you know Robert Palmer. Again, God rest his soul. We lost Robert a couple years ago. But uh, you know, before Robert Palmer was a huge solo artist, he uh, obviously worked in some other bands, had a great career. We've done a top ten list of Robert Palmer's career. But when he joined up with... Uh, with Andy Taylor from Duran Duran, and they put the power station together. It was amazing. It was. And the biggest hit they had of an original song was Some Like It Hot and Some Sweat When the Heat Is On. And the percussion on this album is phenomenal. They often did a cover of T-Rex's Bang A Gong, Get It On. The mix on this is incredible. Production value on this album from start to finish is amazing. And there's a great song on there that doesn't get a lot of press. It's called Communication Breakdown. Another one. It's amazing. But, uh, again, I'm a big Duran Duran guy, 
And I thought this was a cooler version of Robert Palmer. I like this version better than I didn't mean to turn you on. I know you guys like him up there in that three-piece suit like a crooner on a cruise ship or something. But uh, I think the best work for me is the Power Station album uh, with Robert Palmer. Number one, though, if we're going to do a song about being hot, we got to go this direction here, man. A great, 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 and yet you want to call them an American band. They're not. You know, they're a mix of Europeans and uh, Americans, which is one of the reasons they came up with the name Foreigner. Because Nick Jones said, no matter where we go, somebody's in a foreign land. No matter where they tour, that thus became Foreigner. And the great track, Hot-Blooded, and uh, I saw a uh, this uh, that metal show episode when uh, Mick was on there and they had uh, Marty Friedman, formerly of um, Megadeth, who's uh, carved out a big niche for himself over in Japan. And he talked about, Mick, what were you thinking with that solo in Hot Blooded? Because it just, it doesn't match the normal rules of composition, but it works. It's phenomenal. And uh, Marty asked him, I don't know what drugs you were on, but can you tell me? You know, because the the solo is so unique. I love Foreigner. You should, too. And uh, one of the first top ten lists we ever did was Foreigner. And the thing that I can count on with Foreigner is even the B-sides, even the deeper tracks when you put an album on, are outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, So I encourage you to go out and grab some Foreigner today. Number one, Hot Blooded from Foreigner. And again, thanks to Melanie Moody. She has sent us another couple of suggestions. Heath Hopkins has sent us a couple. We probably are about 20, 25 deep. However... That doesn't mean that we're doing them chronologically. Some of them we never do. And it's unfortunate. But a lot of times I can't do a list justice. I don't want to disrespect the fans because if you're like me, it's like when somebody puts a list out of songs of my favorite band, I always think to myself, this guy's an idiot. You know, they're talking about. You know, they're just putting the hits out here and calling it a day. You know, and so I want to make sure we can be genuine in what we do. So I don't always do them. And that's out of respect for you and out of respect for the artist. If I can't do it justice, I'm not going to do the list. And sometimes I'll even turn to you and say, okay, give me your top ten, and then I'll listen to the songs, and I may reposition some. But uh, So maybe you get an opportunity uh, to, to kind of speak your mind on the show, in a manner of speaking. I want to thank Roy, as always, for uh, always putting these great lists on Spotify for us. You can follow Roy on social media at dogmatic67, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And follow him on Spotify, too, and have these lists just kind of auto-populate through your phone. How cool is that? I mean, it didn't cost him anything to do it, but, man, it, it takes a little time. And this guy's been so religious and meticulous. And it's so funny. Like, if, if Roy gets busy and, like, is a little late doing it, he's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm not paying him, you know. I mean, the benefits package is outstanding, right? But uh, the reality of it is is that Roy does all this for all of you. I never, I never had any plans to put these on Spotify, but Roy did. He goes, I'm happy to do it for you. And then the next thing you know, Roy and I become friends. And so you're never too old to make new friends. And Roy is a good friend to me. Uh, love Elsa. Love uh, Missy, the whole clan there. And uh, wish them the best, for sure. And appreciate their contributions to the Boneyard. Low these many years. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You should, too. Neatly positioned on the backside of campus. You can swing in there and get your game day shopping done, then take a ride on the campus. Next thing you know, you're one at one of Mississippi State's historic venues. How cool is that? Best selection of Mississippi State merchandise in the non-universe. Be sure and go check them out next time you're in town. If you can't go by to see their smiling faces, you can visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet. While you're there, you can pick out something for yourself, 
for your significant other, your children, your nieces, your nephews, your grandparents, whoever, mom, dad. But always treat yourself with a little something. If you got to go make a big order, get yourself a keychain, something. You're working hard for a reason. Don't forget to reward yourself. And maybe Father's Day was disappointing. And maybe you don't want to tell anybody. Maybe you had your eyes on that Mississippi State polo at Campus Book Mart and uh, nobody came through. There you have to tell anybody. Just go order it yourself. And we're going to give you a little incentive to do that. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. Thanks, as always, to Campus Bookmark. All right. We have picked up a new commitment. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk some recruiting on this show from time to time. As we get into the heart of recruiting, we're going to talk about it a lot more. But I don't want it to be a show where, you know, we've been so red hot on the recruiting trail, we could almost overdo it. Right? I mean, it's like every time I turn around, Zach Arnett's out there tweeting out to Jeff where he's, uh, you know, all excited because we've got a new commitment. We picked up one over the weekend that I was not expecting. I like surprises of that magnitude, right? I don't like surprises of the negative variety. I don't. And I think we all live that way, right? If you want to surprise me, give me good news. I don't want any bad news. I know that's part of life, but I don't want them. So, Jimothy Lewis, former MRA product, transferred to IMG Academy, and, and we felt like we were in a good position with him before he went out there, and then I think people kind of gave up hope. Will Friend was at Auburn at the time, continued to recruit him, and as he got to Mississippi State, made him feel like a priority, and now Jimothy Lewis is coming home, now committed to Mississippi State. He was projected by many to go to Ole Miss. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is not a situation where Paul Jones and I just kind of laid in wait to make our old Miss peers look silly. That wasn't part of the plan at all. We weren't expecting this kid to commit. Now, he came to camp, and we're like, well, that's, that's interesting. That's Timothy Lewis. What's he doing here? Nah, surely he's just taking a tour, right? The next thing you know, we hear he's going to be back on campus. You think, nah, really? And then he commits. One of the biggest surprises, I would say, in my career in covering recruiting. I've been writing about Mississippi State since 1997. I've been covering college football recruiting now for 20 years. This is one of the biggest pleasant surprises I've ever seen from Mississippi State. And, yes, I understand today is not signing day. And I wish people would stop tweeting that. Well, I'm just going to wait. Well, then don't even tweet that. How about you wait and tweet? Or they jump on the message board. It's like, oh, this is great, but it don't mean nothing. The signing day, yeah, no, duh. We don't think we don't know that. Why are we so against fun? Can we not be excited? Can we not get, you know, be pumped up because our coaching staff is out there killing it on the recruiting trail right now? Yes, we know nothing's final. We, that's well established. We don't need that to be reminded of that. We don't. Well, I'm just going to wait and get excited. Okay, well, fine. Keep it to yourself. Because I, I get tired of seeing it, man. I do. You tweet out, hey, Mississippi State's red hot on the recruiting trail. Well, I'll have you know, doesn't mean anything they sign. Oh, breaking news, Sherlock. And you get in the Facebook groups. It's like some of the people, and he's, I'm, I'm going to talk about this for a minute, and then we're going to talk about Jimothy. Facebook brings out the worst in so many people. And, and, and there's some people, I think, you shouldn't be on social media. And it's not because you're doing things improper. But you're, you're, you're selling too much of yourself. You're showing that you're really not, really not a happy person. 
They say we want to be the wet blanket every time something good happens. Well, you know, it's like I had somebody yes yesterday message me because I, I said something about LSU. Well, we can't really say anything about LSU because we didn't even make Hoover. Well, yes, we can. So we, we're precluded from having an opinion about college baseball because we're not playing in Omaha? Is that how that works? Because based on the things that I see many of you people post on Facebook and you comment on, you've got absolutely no reason to talk about it then by that standard. So let's try to be a little more positive. And if you're going to be negative, keep it to yourself. What did your mom tell you as a kid? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I'm not some Pollyanna out here, but when we have a a, a situation like this, we have a four-star offensive tackle that we were not expecting to get, and he picks Mississippi State, and the first thing you think of is to go try to throw a wet blanket on the enthusiasm. That is not a Mississippi State problem. That is a you problem. And I'll take it to your face in front of your mom. We don't need that element in the fan base. We don't. So, again, Mississippi State mamas, please encourage your daughters to marry positive Mississippi State fans. End of rant. All right, let's talk Jimothy Lewis here. 6'6", 275 pounds. And if you've seen this young man in person, he is what you would want an offensive tackle prospect to look like. You know, a lot of guys have some bad weight on them, right? So they come out of high school, and a lot of times in high school, it's like we're trying to gain weight, trying to gain mass, and sometimes it hurts our level of athleticism. And then you get into a college weight room. we got to take all this bad weight off and start stacking some good weight on. Uh, Jimothy Lewis is ahead of the curve in that respect. He doesn't have a lot of bad weight on him. He's a guy, too, that already knows where the weight room is, already knows how to work, and so he should be able to play fairly early in his career. Uh, over 25 offers. Let's run through the offer sheet here. And, again, it hadn't been updated in a while. But uh, Alabama, Alcorn State, Arkansas State, Auburn, Baylor, Florida, Florida A&M, Florida State, Georgia, Grambling State, Indiana, Louisville, LSU, Memphis, Miami, Michigan, Michigan State, Missouri, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Tennessee, Tennessee State, Southern Florida, and Vanderbilt. At one point, he was listed as the number one offensive tackle prospect in the country for this class. He's not now, but he's still a top 20 in his position. Of course, his early rankings come out, and of course, they're the most inexact because of the fact that uh, as more guys emerge and more evaluations are done, there's only only one place to go is down. This is the guy that most of the SEC wanted to come play. And so, of course, you know, he was, you know, the cream of the crop last week when a lot of people thought he was going to commit to Ole Miss, and now that he's committed to Mississippi State, it's like, oh, he's really not that good. Yeah. Tell yourself whatever you need to to feel better, Ole Miss fans, because you've had to do that a lot here as of late. And it's so interesting, too. They keep throwing this Tavares Banks thing up in our face. Uh, I've never talked to that kid, ever. And uh, he did commit to Mississippi State at camp and wanted to hold the announcement. And the next thing you know, Ole Miss gets involved, and, and they get him. And congratulations for getting him. He's a good player. But while the theatrics, oh, we want to have the big show, and uh, we want to let the kid commit to Ole Miss to kind of endear him to our fan base at Mississippi State's expense. They're like, oh, well, you guys know what was going on. Yeah, that's right. You want to stack that up? With what's happened over the course of the last week when your people didn't know what Snock of Ernside was going to do, you didn't know what J.J. Harrell was going to do. In fact, your people thought he was going to miss, right? You want to stack that up? And then do you want to throw Jimothy Lewis on top of that? You want to have a battle of sources? Is that what you want? You're going to lose, especially when the only win you have is something that was contrived and planned and, and worked as some conspiracy. You know, why can't you just go recruit kids? 
why can't the recruiting class just kind of stand on its own merit? And listen, State and Ole Miss both should both have really good classes this year because there's a lot of really good players in the state of Mississippi, period. And it's true that Ole Miss has committed itself more to high school recruiting. You know, and we talked about that for a couple of years now, that we didn't think it was sustainable to, to allocate, you know, the bulk of your class or at least about half of your class to transfers. I think Lane Kevin has realized that. And if, if that's not the case, then why are they prioritizing high school recruiting now? Because that was the, the spin of the moment last year. Oh, well, we're just going to go in the portal. We're going to get all these ready-made players. Okay, well, if, that, if, if it worked, why are we doing this? Why are we out chasing all the high school guys now? And why, is, why do you guys keep the uh, turnstile spinning in the transfer portal with all these guys going out, including some guys that transferred in last year that have now transferred out this year? Interesting. But uh, Jimothy, a big-time player for sure. And uh, when you look at this offensive line class that Mississippi State is putting together, you know, I think about our offensive line right now, and I begin to ask myself, I mean, you know, listen, we got some guys that play really hard. We got some guys that give us so much of themselves to move this thing forward. They do. And you know what? I think that's outstanding. That said, we needed to get some bigger offensive linemen. We needed to get some more talented guys. No disrespect intended to anybody else. But we had kind of, you know, we went out and wanted to get the Space Invaders deal. We had the big, massive offensive lineman with, you know, an incredible wingspan. To, we were going to pass it all the time. And then we ended up having to have a couple of starters that, uh, you know, are a little bit on the shorter side for our league. And you go look at these numbers here. T.J. Lockhart, 6'6", 365. He probably needs to drop 30, 40 pounds, and he will. Kyson Shepard, 6'5", 315. Luke Work, 6'6", 285. And it's a rather svelte 285. On top of that, you throw in Jimothy Lewis at 6'6", 275. So athletic guys with a ton of mass, a ton of room to grow, and you begin to think about, you know, getting downhill, Having an offensive line that can you know, move the line of scrimmage, that's what you're getting after. Will Friend doing a great job. He's not alone, but here as of late, Will Friend, we have seen things really pick up. As good as Bumpus is doing, Will Friend is doing equally as well. And again, and Jimothy Lewis is a prime example of that. Two weeks ago, we didn't expect him to be a Bulldog. We didn't even expect him to take a visit here. We were surprised he shows up at camp. And that's the thing about recruiting. You know, I remember Melvin Smith told me this years ago, the better part of recruiting is convincing players that they should be here when they initially they don't want to be here. Because in the beginning, they're thinking, I want to go to Alabama, I want to go to LSU, I want to go to USC, or I want to go to Miami. In the beginning, that's what all these kids think. And then all of a sudden, you, know, you get involved in recruiting and you build some relationships and you think, okay, hey, what's best for you and your family? You'll be a little bit closer to home. And so that's what we've seen in this situation here. You know, um, Jimothy's a guy that was an established prospect in our state for this class. We already knew he was coming. We knew that he would be an SEC guy. They go to IMG. He explodes out there from a recruiting standpoint, and then ultimately now is committed to Mississippi State. So quick rundown on the class, 14 current commitments, seven of those from the state of Mississippi. And, uh, they again, they count Jimothy as a Floridian when uh, he is a Mississippi product. So, uh, technically, eight of the 14 uh, product of the Mississippi high school system. 
right? And then uh, in addition to that, three from the state of Alabama, two from Tennessee, and then one over from the state of Louisiana. And uh, again, the class is really coming together. You got your one quarterback. I think it'll be a two quarterback class. You got, you know, we got Gaten listed as a running back. I think he'll be a safety. You still want to go take one. I think it's a one running back class. And I know they're going to stay on Conan Daniels until it's just inconceivable, you know, that he's not going to come. Uh, they haven't given up on him. Receiver, you got three. Uh, could see something happen with Nareel White, currently committed to Arkansas. That's something to kind of monitor as we move forward. And you got your four offensive linemen. You'd like to get Markel Bell, you know, down at Holmes Community College. He is a full qualifier to high school, so he has the ability to come out this year. He could sign right now and enroll in summer school and be part of your football team this fall. A lot of people are encouraging him to go back and play another year. They think, hey, if you've already got, you know, State, no miss, and that level of SEC off, what a big year. Maybe you can get Alabama or Tennessee or something. That's what he's being told. But he has the opportunity to come out. If he comes out now, I think it changes the numbers. But, uh, again, I think it's probably five high school guys and an older guy. We probably got to get the portal for, for one guy. But we'll see. Defensive line, it's a great year in State. We've got one defensive lineman right now who I would contend may be the best defensive lineman in the state. I'm probably in the minority, and that's completely okay with that. I think we'll look back in three years and say, you know what? Rose Bowl was right. Terrence Hibbler is a dude. That guy's going to do a great job for state. We've got one linebacker in the class, like to take a couple more. You know, so we'll see how things kind of progress there. But, uh, again, the class is coming together nicely. We do expect uh, another commitment by week's end. And uh, some of your Bulldog commitments are out there kind of teasing that there's another one that's going to commit on Saturday. And so uh, I also know, too, that um, there is at least two prospects that are committed to other SEC programs that are in talks at Mississippi State potentially about making a flip. And there's hints on a couple more. So I know there's a couple of guys committed to Ole Miss that uh, if Mississippi State gave them the go-ahead, they would come and go. And then, of course, I think Arkansas is having to sweat some things out over there. So... Uh, again, that's your latest update on the recruiting trail. And, uh, again, things trending well when you begin to think about uh, team ranking. State and Ole Miss both in the top 20. And uh, Ole Miss sneaks ahead with a three-star. They said they were not going to do that anymore, uh, but they did. So Ole Miss 17 in the country, State 18. I mean, just we're talking percentage points. And uh, they have one more commitment. So that's the difference between the two. It's not necessarily the quantity because uh, – you know, they have one more commitment, so we'll pick up another commitment and uh, stay to leapfrog them again. That's how it's going to be much of the year, right? I mean, that's just how it's going to be. You know, State and Ole Miss both kind of jockeying back and forth. And, again, I, I, can, I submit to you State and Ole Miss both are going to have really good classes this year. Do we both stay in the top 20? Probably not. But at the end of the day, most years Ole Miss declares victory on signing day and then State ends up having the better, the better run of things. But um, – Again, I'm just excited about what's happening with Zach Arnett, what they're doing in-state. He committed to do a good job on in-state recruiting, and they have been. It's been outstanding. All right, let's take a few minutes and talk a little bit about baseball. And uh, if you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com, and you can get most of my sports books there. Dogpile is there. Alpha Dogs is there. Limited quantities available there. If you, if you don't have it, you need to order soon because uh, Stark Villains completely exhausted the inventory there. And then Flim Flim, of course, we guess we've got about 600 or less copies of that still available. And, uh, of course, we did multiple printings of that book. And uh, so you can still get them. And then Blooms Oleander, of course, uh, will soon be out of print. You can get that through Amazon. Um, I would encourage you to get to them unless you're getting through your local bookstore. But um, here's the deal. I want to talk about baseball, which is what made me think about Dogpile. Um, so 
LSU and Florida are going to play tonight for a NAFL championship. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm also kind of sad because we're not there and we weren't a factor in things this year. And you look at what happened yesterday with LSU and Florida, you know, the game got lopsided and give Jay Johnson some credit. He's like, hey, it doesn't matter if I get beat 100 to 5. It only counts as one loss, which is correct. And uh, look at what's happened to Christian Little, man. Christian Little was the game two starter in the 2021 NAFL Championship Series against Mississippi State. Ultimately leaves Vanderbilt, transfers to LSU, and everybody was like, oh, what a great coup. And I was like, no, no, it's not. And now he's been relegated to being a mop-up guy for LSU. Yeah, I mean, you hate that for a young man's career. But again, you know, he was so young kind of coming in. And um, sometimes I wish I could just kind of sit down and talk to this guy. I mean, I'm just fascinated to see what's, you know, his story. Everybody's like, oh, he's the, you know, the, the best young guy. And what's happened? You know, it's just it, one of those things that just that kind of boggles the mind a little bit that somebody with that kind of promise could just in two short years go from starting a game where Vanderbilt was competing to win the national championship. If he, he could be the winning pitcher in a national championship game to clinch a national title, and he's not even there anymore, and not only is he not starting at LSU, he's not relied upon at LSU. It's crazy. It really is. I hate it. I hate it for the kid. We'll do. Uh, all that said, LSU and Florida will get together for all the marbles. And uh, we saw LSU take batting practice uh, last night. So what will Paul Skeens do, right? Well, you know, there's a NAFL championship online. He's taking the ball. And then Jay Johnson's like, well, you know, we'll have to see. There's no way. There's no way Paul Skeens doesn't pitch today. Is he the starter? I don't know. Do you save him for the back end? I don't know. You know, I don't know how I would do it, to be quite honest with you. I've thought about that a lot today. You know, you, you begin to think, hey, if I've got a lead after six, can Skeens get me nine? I suspect so. The problem is, if I start him and he runs out of gas and then we don't have anything behind him, it's a loss. And it, it's, it's a gamble either way. If you don't start him and you get down and the separation happens early in the ballgame, and let's say you're down three or four runs, and then you bring Skeens in and he shuts everybody down, but then you don't score and you lose, and you say, well, you wasted him. If you start him and you run out of juice, you know, it's a difficult decision. I, I, I tell you what I would do. And I guess maybe I've made up my mind right here talking to you guys. I would just start him and let him go as long as he can without hurting himself, right? I mean, the guy's thrown, what, 250 pitches in eight days? That's ridiculous. It's crazy. And I guess I get it. Back in the old days, is what you used to be. But uh, the reality of it is, this is a guy with a bright future ahead of him. And, and but it's a NAFL championship on the line. So I'm gonna let Skeens make his own decisions. You know, obviously under the you know, direction of our medical staff, and uh, see how it goes. But uh, I do like Florida to win the game. And I, I said early on, I, I picked Florida to win this whole thing. And I'm not just in love with my pick. I think. Florida should have won game one. I think Florida should already be at home planning a parade. But they didn't. They didn't. And I thought it's interesting, too. We talk about, you know, Rake Forest. The Wake Forest thing, again, a lot of these offenses don't translate well to Omaha, and that's the case for Wake Forest. And um, if I remember correctly, they closed out the Omaha experience with 18 consecutive scoreless innings. Uh, you can't win if you don't score. But Florida, people are like, oh, Florida had an easier path. You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you got there as long as you get there, you know. 
I don't think Florida actually had an easier path. I mean, Oral Roberts was a, proved to be a very, very difficult out. But uh, I'm excited about this. And uh, so now what are we doing to take steps to get back into this mix? I mean, we have two of our SEC contemporaries playing for an NFL championship, and we've been home for over a month, right? I mean, that's just – I'm not going to sit here and belabor the point, but it's, it sucks, man. It does. Uh, so I shared this uh, because I think it's important to understand. Uh Justin Parker, obviously, is here. Um, had a chance to uh, get some intel that he actually spoke with Scott Foxhall before taking the job, and that Scott was, Scott was very complimentary uh, about Mississippi State. And, of course, there's – we listen, like everybody else, we have some fans that take things a little bit too far, right? But we have the greatest baseball fans in the country. And, listen, I know that LSU is going to go up there and they're going to set an attendance record this week at Omaha, and it's going to be great, and it's good for the game of college baseball. Uh, but our people turn out, they're part of the game. And if they don't just show up in the regionals, you know, we'll have people that will show up and do a great job for us every weekend no matter who we play it. And that was one of the things that was kind of illustrated to Justin Parker is how great the fan support is here. I mean, you see it, but to hear it from the inside is another thing. Uh, so a lot of people say, you know, hey, who is Justin chasing the portal? Well, I'll tell you, things are a lot more tight-lipped these days. And, uh, and, and for and, – for good reason. Now, I'm not out there beating the bricks, you know, maybe like some of you think I should, because I'm not going to go do something that is a detriment to the program, especially over something as sensitive as portal recruiting. You say, well, here's the deal, too. People are like, I don't understand. You know, some schools are doing this and saying that, shouldn't be scared of this. You know, listen, Jay Johnson's gotten up there after every ball game and, you know, basically, uh, basically you know, encouraging kids to transfer to LSU. And that's part of the process now. Is it tacky? Absolutely. Has it been effective? You better believe it. You better believe it. And you don't think hey, if all of a sudden some of our major league baseball players is like, hey, we're going to throw in enough money and we're going to put together a million-dollar slosh fine and we didn't go out there and put together an incredible roster and we wouldn't want an NFL championship, would you think any less of that? Absolutely you wouldn't. You wouldn't. And so give LSU credit for taking advantage of the situation, putting together a great team. And they are a great team. They're one away from an NFL championship. And no matter how this thing shakes out, how can you say that, that LSU's formula wasn't successful? The question is, is it sustainable? I don't believe that it is. Uh, I don't think it is. And I think it's one of those things, too, that, uh, you know, there was a possibility, obviously, that LSU didn't even make Omaha. They, they did. And, they're again, they're playing in the final game. Had they not made it, I think you could make an argument, you know what, this was too much money to invest. We didn't get enough return on the investment. The LSU people now are thinking, you know what, hey, win or lose, this is the way to go. So they're going to be very, they're going to be ramped up on their NIL efforts and say, hey, you know what, one more kid, we'd have won this thing, right? And if you win, you're like, you know what, hey, this is proof positive here. This is what happens. You know, there's a part of me too. I look at it and I say, you know, when you get up there and say, basically, you're saying, hey, everybody transfer here because I can't recruit and develop players. I need you guys to come in here and be paid to play so we can go win. I think that's an aspect of this that people don't really really consider. But at the end of the day. It's like the Honorable Al Davis said, just win, baby. You think anybody cares? You know, all of us sitting on the outside are like, oh, that's a bad way to do things. That NAFL championship count, you don't think that there are other LSU NAFL championships that maybe have an asterisk next to them? Well, they do. But you know what? They're still champions. A championship is a championship. And listen, I, listen, I get it. Like when the Florida Marlins and all that stuff happens, and it's like, oh, you know, come on. I guess maybe I'm old school. It's like, I, you know, you, you build your team through the farm system, you know, right? And maybe you make a trade or two 
down the stretch, but you don't go out and buy the World Series. And that, that's kind of how this thing looks at LSU. But I've had time to think about it. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, if the shoe was on the other foot, we would be just as excited, if not more so. Because I've told you guys for years, LSU is ready to get back to begin LSU in baseball. They had one since 2009. And you're like, oh, they won these national championships. Guys, it's been almost 15 years. Think about this for a second. Most of the kids that LSU is recruiting these days was, weren't alive the last time LSU won an AFL championship in baseball. It's crazy you think about it in that light, isn't it? It really is. It's not. But they have taken the steps necessary to kind of move this thing forward. And so a lot of people are like, well, Steve, why isn't there more information out there about you know, this portal recruiting stuff? Well, what if we put something out there and then all of a sudden LSU or somebody gets involved or Tennessee – and says, hey, we'd love for you to come play here. What's, uh, what's your NIL package at Mississippi State? Oh, well, it's this. Well, we can give you 25000 more. And so I kind of I get it, right? Like, what, what value is there in us putting a name out there and saying, hey, I'm hearing that uh, Mississippi State's about to get this kid committed, and then somebody else swoops in with a more lucrative NIL package or puts us in basically a bidding war we have to allocate more NIL resources to get these guys or these deals. You understand what I'm saying? And so I don't want to be in a position where we're making it harder for our coaches. And, yes, I have an obligation as a journalist to tell you guys the truth, but at the same time, too, I'm not going to go out there and do things to the detriment of Mississippi State baseball. It's not going to do it. I think in many ways that's the right way to do things. And you know what? They'll commit to us, they'll enroll, and we'll write a story, and we'll all move forward with life. Does it really matter if you know a week ahead of time? You know, because this college baseball recruiting coverage thing is much different. You know, I think, again, when we fully fund it and we're able to give people full scholarships, it's a different deal. But uh, until we get this NIL stuff kind of cleaned up a little bit, you know, I, I think you're going to see people be a lot more tight-lipped. And there's some programs out there, I mean, I'm reading left and right, that they're recruiting this guy and that guy, and this guy's got an offer. And I don't know if that's a way to do it. I don't know if transparency in recruiting in baseball – works the same way it does in football and basketball. And that's not something that's just germane in Mississippi State. I mean, think about this. How many times do you see a young guy that's being recruited in baseball tweet out an offer? Honestly, I mean, think about it for a second. You see him tweet out the commitment, but you don't see him tweet out the offer because how many times do you see it in football and basketball? Well, it's almost every time. And now a football guy gets an offer. I mean, that's the first thing they do is, you know, we screenshot a picture of – you know, Will Rogers and tweet out a picture. I got an offer from Mississippi State. You know, a lot of that because it's, it attracts more attention. In college baseball, a lot of people don't want attention. And I know that there are some colleges around the country, some coaches that say, hey, don't even tell people you have an offer from us. And it's not because they're ashamed, but because it is such a complicated process. You don't want to advertise the fact and shine a light on these guys like, hey, this kid's fixing to go to Mississippi State. Oh, well, let's go take a look. If State wants him, we should get him too. And so we have a finite number of resources when it comes to NIL. So why do we – we don't make life harder on ourselves or for Charlie Winfield or Chris Simonis. It's important to understand that. It's really important to understand that. So as long as we can announce the commitment and get to know these guys before they enroll, great. And you know, there were some things last year. I mean, I did, we were doing uh, baseball bones, and I was digging up stuff and talking to scouts and talking to friends that were covering baseball in the Cape and – uh, getting information from guys that are connected to players. And it's like, oh, there's this guy and that guy. And then it, that also builds up a thing, too, where people are like, oh, well, if we're talking to them, 
and we don't get them, it must be because they chose somebody else. More times than not, it's a situation where we didn't offer, but we can't always quantify that. And so I'm just trying to be careful with how we do things. I'm not trying to defend anybody. I'm not trying to prop anybody up. But we never want to be an impediment uh, to our coaches out there trying to do a job on a recruiting trail, ever, in any sport. But it's just a little more complicated in baseball. And I'm sensitive to that. I'm a lot closer to it. And so I, I understand it. So that is in no way – uh, mentioned in arrogance or hardiness. It's just the kind of the reality of the situation. You know, at the end of the day, it's not about how, what you know. It's about what kind of team we put on the field. And so, listen, that's how we're approaching it. Maybe that's the wrong way, but it's the way that I can live with it. All right, reminder, too, we will be um, transitioning very, very soon into uh, you know, full-time football stuff. But we will cover the baseball scrimmage this fall like we normally do. Uh, but you're going to see unprecedented coverage of Mississippi State football this year. We're going to really ramp things up. I encourage you, as always, come by and join us. Take advantage of the 50% off special that ends at the end of the month. And, again, that runs for a year, so take advantage of that. And you're probably spending more money on coffee anyway on your way to work each day. Uh, Jump aboard the jeanspage.com website and uh, interact with our our great – not just our experts. We have some incredible posters that are very well connected uh, that really make our community go. And there's a lot of people out there that have, you know, they claim sources. We actually have posters that have legitimate sources, right? Uh, so we're the best thing going. And uh, I say that without any hesitation. Uh, I remember years ago when we would, you know, we would break the scoop on a story and then like somebody in the print media would go run it in a newspaper. And, and then everybody would have these people on their shows and they're like, hey, well, uh, you, know, the, you know, the Bug Tussle Press wrote this story, and they got it from us. And we were, we were so mistreated and overlooked. And now, I've, now everybody in the print media has a blog or has uh, social media accounts and instant updates. And, and so they used to despise us, and now they've become us. And uh, the problem with that is, is that we're better in being us than they could ever be. And so we work exceptionally hard. And I don't mean that in any – I'm not taking a shot at anybody as an individual. Just industry-wide, that's what I'm saying. The newspaper industry – look down on people like ourselves, and then they have become us. And that's important to understand. So don't, don't tweet anybody because there's, there's a couple of smart alecks out there is what they want to do. They always want to create beef. I have no beef with anybody on the Mississippi State beat or anybody connected uh, with Mississippi State media. There's not very many people out there that I don't have a good relationship with around the Southeastern Conference. And, of course, there are some obvious ones, and I don't really care, right? So uh, be that as it may, we're going to move forward. Reminder, too, if you need Stark Villains gear, and chances are you do, that, that is the cool thing. I, I'm just going to – even though I came up with it, I think it's great. Stark Villain, wear the black shirt, wear the black hat, and um, it's a nice little play on words for Starkville and Starkvillian. But uh, wrap the brand. I appreciate it when you guys do. Again, at StarkVillains.com, you get T-shirts, hoodies. And, again, if you've got a kid going to Starkville High School or any Starkville school, you can get black and gold. A Stark villain t-shirt or hoodie in black and gold. If your kids go to SA, you can get blue and orange. It's a wide assortment of colors and styles at uh, StarkVillains.com. Be sure and go check it out today. That's going to do it, man. We'll be back with you guys on Wednesday. We'll have another great top ten list. And uh, we'll have some, hope, you never know. You know, with Zach Arnett, I can't count anything out. I mean, he may flip somebody and, you know, just say, here you guys go. You know, here's another one. But uh, we do expect something later in the week. We'll kind of keep you up to date on that. And, and uh, again, we expect to have uh, – some baseball transfer portal commitments sooner uh, rather than later. But, again, just be patient with the staff. They're working, had visitors on campus this past week, and there is one player in particular that we, we are confident that has already committed 
but we're going to allow him to go public, right? It's his moment, and we're going to let him take ownership of his own decision, and then we'll report after the fact. We're happy to do that. Uh, that's just kind of the bottom line. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.